Hey friends, this is Mario J. Radford. I'm the pastor of Growth Point Church, and this is our podcast. I pray that it connects, leads, and maybe introduces you to a growing and life-changing relationship with Jesus. Now let's go into the message. that are mine today, I want to preach from the simple thought, getting over without going under. Getting over without going under. Would you give us your prayers, your amens, your affirmation, whatever you use to back the preacher. This is an interactive experience. Getting over without going under. Time is filled with swift transition. Not on earth unmoved. Build your hopes on things eternal. Hold to God's unchanging hand. Ladies and gentlemen, I submit today at the outset of this message that life cannot be lived without swift transition and inevitable changes. In fact, it was Winston Churchill who once said that to improve is to change. So to be perfected is to have changed often. This, my friends, illustrates the reality that as we navigate this second half of the year, it mandates that we do so under the guise of knowing that the only thing consistent in life is change. For church family, even as we reflect today upon the last 17 months that we've lived in, all of us can testify that in some way, shape, or form, we've dealt with life's transitions. For having been defined as the movement between seasons, phases or positions, I can say today without fear of opposition or contradiction that everyone under the sound of my voice, both live and online, has dealt with the reality of transition. And my friends, with that in mind that I submit today that transition in itself is not inherently a bad thing because my friends, it's within the tension of transition that we are able to that we are able to examine the simple fact that sometimes God's will is not found merely in the certainty of our placement, but sometimes it's found in the crucible of God's providence. It's in the tension of transition that we understand that even while we may be comfortable in the spaces we currently sit in, that in the words of the Reverend Dr. Daniel Corey Shaw, that God never gives an assignment that does not likewise have an expiration date. It's in the tension of our transition that we realize that, yes, we may enjoy the idea of this side, but every now and then, my friends, God has a way of interrupting our leisure and telling us, let us go across to the other side. And that, my friends, is why when you understand the unavoidable realities of transition, it will cause you to change your prayer from Lord divert me to Lord direct me. Because I'd submit today, likewise, at the outset of this message, that it's in those moments that we understand that as we commence this eighth month of 2021, and even as we face the impending transitions that are yet bound to come our way, and even as we yet face the certainty of uncertainty, the good news of this text is that even if you have to cross dangerous rivers, we've got a God in glory who is not just the God of tranquility, 
but he's also the God of our transitions. Such the case, my friends, we find today in Mark chapter 4. I hope you have not closed your Bible yet, for it's here, my friends, that we come across this familiar story to most of us gathered in this sacred space called Growth Point. For church family, as Jesus and the disciples have just finished a day of ministry, he tells them, let us go across to the other side. But PJ, I got to pause right there and tell someone on this Sunday afternoon that just because Jesus tells you to go somewhere, it does not automatically mean the journey is going to be stress-free. For, of course, you do know that they're on a boat and a, a violent storm comes. And when it comes, the disciples are fearful that their lives will be in danger. And upon that realization, they go get Jesus and find him sleeping. More on that to come later on. But my friends, the Bible says they, they wake him up. He calms the storm. They live happily ever after. But in doing so, he teaches us the importance of handling transition by displaying the fact that transitions are temporary, not terminal. And as such, he says that even when you have to face the unavoidable realities of transition, there are certain things that you ought to remember that can help you manage transition so it does not manage you. To which, my friends, I would submit on this Sunday afternoon that the tulips of this text teach us today three reasons why, even if you've been given the task of doing something you've never done or going somewhere you've never gone, the fact of the matter is that there is is always a way to get over without going under and first of all my friends I submit today that you can get over without going under because first of all of the composition of the ambassador let the whole room say composition bless your heart it's right there in verse 36 unless you tore it out the Bible says that after leaving the crowd behind they took Jesus with them in the boat as he was and other boats were with them. And thereafter, a great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that the boat was already swamped. Now, my friends, this is intriguing today because if you read the entirety of Mark chapter 4, you will understand that Mark chapter 4 begins with Jesus teaching on a boat. They're watching him from the shore, but he's already on board this boat, which makes the next detail that much more intriguing because the Bible says the disciples took Jesus with him just as he was, which suggests there is no occurrence of Jesus ever going back to shore before they set sail. There's no record of him ever getting off for a snack break before they set sail. There's no record of him ever getting off the boat for extra supplies before they set sail, which begs the question, Brandon Colbert, today, that what exactly was it about this particular boat that makes Jesus choose it to sail on? While you ponder that, my friends, the next clause says, other boats were with them. Now, of course, um, oddly enough, Mark doesn't tell us much about the other boats. We don't know who's on them. We don't know who's driving them. We don't know if they're free floating. We don't know where they're going. We don't know where they've been. We don't know what brand they are. All we know is that a small detail is given to us in the King James Version that says other little boats 
were with them. Don't miss that because that illuminates the fact that the other boats are smaller than the boat that we find Jesus. And following this discovery, the Bible says that a great windstorm arises and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already being swamped. So my friends, what you have here is the arising of a violent storm that is literally so powerful that not only is there wind around the boat, but now there is water inside the boat. Did y'all hear what I just said? I'll say it again. I said not only are they facing external winds, but now they're facing internal water. So much so that the Bible says the boat was already swamped. Have you ever been there? In a space where you felt like life was hitting you both from behind and from beneath. Swamped in a Space where you had to deal with multiple elements at the exact same time. Swamped in a space where it seemed like just as soon as you figured out how to handle one thing, here come three more things. Swamped in a place where your problems didn't have enough sense and courtesy to just come from one direction, but rather them little suckers came from every single direction known to man. Have you ever been swamped? And this was just their boat. Because growth point, I just told you, the Bible says they were not the only boat that was dealing with this. But rather, there were other little boats that were with them. Now, this caught my attention because in all my years of hearing this text preached, I've never heard anyone talk about the little boats. But the little boats pique my interest. Because Dimitri, we're told about the violent storm. We're told about the effects that it's having on the big boat. But my friends, think with me. Because if the waves are entrenching the big boat, then how much more is it doing to the little boat? If the wind is shifting the movement of the big boat, then how much more panic is it causing those on the little boat and honestly I confess today I've got a slight problem with the writer Mark here because as vested as he is in keeping us updated on the big boat he does not tell us anything about the little boats and church I would submit today that this is the tension point for those of us who authentically care about the least the last the lost and the left out in our world the point of tension for those of us who care deeply that justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream because right here we have to understand that it's not enough to care about the big boats without keeping the same concern for the little boats for even in society the big boats are those who live in power and prestige but the little boats are those who deal with bad housing, bad education and inadequate pension the big boats are those who live comfortably without concern but the little boats are the ones who decide between buying food 
food and buying medicine. The big boats are those who move from point A to point B without fearing their safety. But the little boats are the black and brown bodies who are constantly harassed, policed, and executed by unjust penal system in this yet-to-be United States. The big boats are those who live in privilege and affluence by the status quo. But the little boats are the sons and daughters who are still most vulnerable through a pandemic that is still not over. The big boats are those areas of comfort, commodity, and excess. But the little boats are those who struggle to make ends meet. Struggle for stability. Struggle for purpose. Struggle for comfort. Struggle for companionship. Struggle for growth. Struggle for hope. Yes, the big boats matter, but God deliver us from being concerned about the big boats without keeping the same energy for the little boats. Wind is around the boat. Water is inside the boat. But somehow the boat is still floating. That's probably the easiest shout cue I'll give you all day long. Let's try it again. Wind is around the boat. Water is inside the boat. But somehow the boat hasn't sunk. So my question is how in the world does a boat that is being hit with forces on multiple ends stay afloat how does a boat that is battling external elements while balancing internal pressure stay afloat how does a boat that is full of what it should be on top of stay afloat how does a boat that is carrying something it never asked to hold in a storm it was never warned about when the day started stay afloat you ask great questions thank you so very much I appreciate your help to which I did what any self-respecting millennial would do in 2021 who need to find information in a quick way you know what I did I googled it thank you so much thank you for helping me today I googled it yes I did and when I did so I found that these boats are made in a very peculiar manner. These are different from fishing boats, but rather these are called preserver boats. First of all, these boats are made from old recycled pieces of wood that have literally been taken from other boats, cut into planks and put together to form the boat. So as you can imagine, this boat is not the most aesthetically pleasing type of boat. This boat that is made of hand-me-down wood is not the most visually stimulating type of boat. This boat was not the Mercedes-Benz of aquatic transportation. In fact, you know, I like cruises. Some of you all may as well. This was not the boat that you'll find from Carnival or Royal Caribbean. But what you got to understand 
is when the boat was built, the builder was not concerned with how it looked, but how it lasted. Because when they would put the planks together and attach them, they would do so in a way that even if it didn't look good, and even if it was not attractive or polished or luxurious, and even if it looked like a piece of trash, at the end of the day, the fact is it was not built to be delightful. It was built to be dependable. It was not built to please you. It was built to preserve you. And right there, I stopped by growth point to remind someone that just because a blessing does not look good to you does not mean it has not been sent for you. Because you do know we serve a God who specializes in taking unlikely people to do extraordinary things to prove the simple fact that if I'm God enough to shape you, I'm God enough to support you. In fact, that's why the psalmist said, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made because he realized that regardless of how I look to other people and regardless of how I look on social media and regardless of how I look to my pew partner, the fact that God shaped me is enough to get happy all by myself because the fact that God shaped me means I've got potential. The fact that he shaped me means I've got assignment. The fact that he shaped me means I've got destiny. In fact, can somebody in Growth Point give God some praise on a Sunday afternoon because even if folk don't like you, the fact that God made you means that even if I shift, I won't shatter because the God I serve built me to life. You, you can get over without going under because of the composition of your ambassador. But I got to push it further. Uh, you can also get over without going under because of the companionship of the almighty. Let the whole room say companionship. Thank you so much. I'm in verse 38. I'm not making it up. The Bible says that he, meaning Jesus, was in the stern of the boat, asleep on the cushion. Now, this intrigues me today for two reasons. Number one is something I share often. That's the simple fact that Jesus reminds us that regardless of how crazy things get around you, you always have the option of going to sleep. You will never guilt me out of taking a nap. Because regardless of how bad things get, you can always go to sleep. But the second thing is the fact that at the scene of this verse, you have one sizable storm, 12 distressed disciples, and one sleeping savior. At the scene, Sterling, you have one turbulent twister, 12 afraid apostles, and one resting redeemer. At the scene, you have one massive monsoon, 12 petrified preachers, and one carefree Christ. 
And my friends, it's after the examination of that ratio that it was Dr. E.K. Bailey who once said that when things get bad, I'll take one sleeping Jesus over 12 woke Christians. It's interesting because Jesus is in the boat sleeping in the storm. Short version is they wake him up. He fixes it. He says, peace be still. I know you read your Bible. You know the story. Storm stops. Everybody's happy. But I submit that there's, there's more there. Keep, keep turning it. Don't, don't read too fast. That's the problem. We read the Bible too fast. Don't read it too fast because there's, there's more there. Because first of all, the Bible says upon the realization of him being asleep in the back of the boat, they wake him up. Stop right there. Because my friends, I believe Jesus teaches us a vital lesson on the importance of resting. That's why I applaud your pastor for doing this. Because Jesus taught us that every now and then it's important to take some time to rest. You know that by now. He's had a full day of ministry. He's been among the people. He's been teaching. He's been preaching. He's been healing. He's been casting out demons. At the end of the day, he had Lex take a boat with his closest friends and go to sleep. I like Jesus. Ironically, this is the first time we ever find Jesus sleeping through a storm. And while he's resting, they wake him up and say to him, carest thou not? That's King James. That we perish. Now, if I'm Looking at this from the lens of Jesus, I've got an attitude. Because I'm thinking to myself, Courtney, why in the world did y'all just wake me up? The fact that I'm here with you. Too fast. The mere fact that you're not in the boat by yourself should have calmed your anxieties before we set sail. But then life happened. Don't shout too soon. And I was forced to ask another question. How do you handle life? When it seems like Jesus is content to sleep while you suffer. God help me preach your word today. How do you handle life when it seems like the master is sleeping while you're suffering? They ask him, teacher, do you care? That we're perishing. We're in a storm and you're asleep. Carest thou not that we perish? Now, my friend, scholars have long debated and reasoned on the etymology of the word perishing here in this text. Because, yes, you could argue the word perishing is literal, meaning that the storm was in danger of taking their lives. There is also a secondary definition, which literally means the complete destruction of your peace. Which would then cause the sentence to read, carest thou not that we've lost our peace? In church, I've got a funny feeling and a sneaky suspicion that if you've lived long enough, the disciples are not the only ones who have had life to life them in such a way that you had to say to God, carest thou not that I'm losing my peace? For someone, it may have been physical. You ate right. You exercised. You had all the makings of a healthy lifestyle. Only to be told by your doctor, we're so sorry we found cancer. Carest thou not that we've lost our peace? For someone, 
It may have been financial. You were faithful in your stewardship. You were generous in your offerings. You did right by God in every financial and fiscal way possible. But at the end of the month, you're still choosing between paying your tithes and paying your bills. Carest thou not that we've lost our peace? For some way, it may be relational. You did all you could for your partner, even in, either in dating or in marriage. You cared to love languages. You gave all you had. You did everything you could. Only to be told once again, it's not you, it's me. Carest thou not that we've lost our peace? For someone, it may be psychological. Your mind is in a space that you know is destructive and counterproductive. You've prayed, you've ran, you've snotted, you've come to the altar, you've danced, you've ran laps, you've sought counseling, you've gone to therapy, you've taken your medicine, you've taken time off, you went to church every single day, the doors were open, but you still are in a space where on the right day at the wrong time, you're still liable to make a decision that will adversely affect you or those connected to you because you're wrestling with something that a praise break just can't fix carest thou not that we're losing our peace I'll be transparent mine has been spiritual because you know today was our first day back in the sanctuary but these last 17 months Miss Angie Cummings have been a blur between the deaths of heroic figures and the sicknesses of near those who are close to us, the loss of normalcy as we once knew it, the seemingly unending reality of COVID-19 along with racism, sexism, classism, and other ethical dilemmas and everything else that seemingly hits a different way every single time. It's left me having to balance the fact that in the words of my fiance, yes, I have joy, but I've also got trauma. So how do you handle life when you find yourself asking the question to God, carest thou not that I'm losing my hope? If that's not been you, I just say just keep on living. Because if you live long enough, life will knock the life out of you to the point where you have to wrestle with the tension of Lord, carest thou not that I'm perishing? But I'm glad today. That God's godness is not threatened by my emotional well-being. The Bible says he wakes up, rebukes the wind, and says to the sea, peace be still. Now, I'll come back to that in the next point. But I'm interested right here in the language that's used because the Bible says he rebukes the wind. Now, that's intriguing language today because when you survey the historicity and the language that's in play, you'll find the word used to describe how he rebukes the wind is the same word you find earlier in Mark chapter 1 verse 25 and Mark chapter 3 verse 12 where he rebukes unclean spirits. But interestingly enough, this word is not used in Hellenistic exorcism, but rather it was a technical term only used in Jewish culture that was uttered by the one performing them as if to signify and make clear that no matter how bad the issue is, it is still subject to God's sovereignty. Because you do know that whatever God creates, God controls. Meaning that while he exercises the wind, he then says to the sea, peace be still. Once again, this is intriguing today, 
because the word in play for be still literally means to muzzle or to silence. But because I knew I was coming to Growth Point and you all get great preaching every single week, I could not just settle for the definition, but rather I had to do some language work and find out its grammatical tense. And I found out, Pastor Gaines, that when the phrase was used, it's used in what's called second person singular form. Which means he talks to the wind not as if it's a thing, but he talks to the wind as if it's a person. That's peculiar, but if you go on further, you'll find out it's also in the perfect passive imperative tense, which is a command. So what he's literally saying is not just be still, but he's saying stay still. Don't miss that. Because he's so particular in the way he moves because he literally says, if y'all are going to go through all the trouble of waking me up out of my good sleep, then I've got no choice but to handle this storm once and for all. And right there, is there anybody inside Growth Point who can testify that one word from God still has the power to change a storm? One word from God has the power to shift paradigms. One word from God has the power to change situations one word from God has the power to make things better in fact is there anybody in here who can look back over your life and testify that right when I needed it most God stepped into my life and spoke over my life in such a way that things didn't just get better but they stayed better because somebody here knows that even if transition is unavoidable the fact of the matter is that change is still possible because we've got a God who even if he does not prevent it, he still knows how to get inside of it. Quick story. Let me help you like this. Stories told about a father and a mother who were putting their son to bed. It had been a long day, so as part of their routine, um, they would pray together before they went to sleep. So on that particular night, the boy said he had to go to the bathroom. So the father just simply said, um, go to the bathroom and I'll wait for you in your bedroom. The boy got out of the bed, um, went to the hallway, saw it was dark, and stopped in his tracks. Y'all know what happened. He yelled, Daddy! Dad came out of the bedroom, walked to where his son was, and said somewhat confused, Son, why didn't you just turn the light on? Son replied, because Dad... I didn't need the lights. I just wanted you with me. Because the son knew I'd rather be in the dark with my dad. Y'all gonna catch this. Then be in the light all by myself. And right there, I ain't to pull the room and see, is there nine people and I'll make ten who can say my prayer for 2021 is not God prevent the storm, but God just don't let me go through it by myself. If it's a mountain, help me climb it. A river, help me swim it. A valley, help me walk it. A bridge, help me cross it. A tunnel, help me dig it. A storm, help me row it a challenge help me conquer it a test help me pass it a change help me embrace it and a devil help me defeat it but God whatever you have for me to do just 
don't let me go through it all by myself because the only thing worse than going through a storm is to go through it without Jesus because when it's all said and done I'll still take one sleeping Jesus over 12 awake church people can somebody just shout he makes the difference I've got to go got to go pastor comes back next week you can get over without going under because of the composition of the ambassador you can get over without going under because of the companionship of the almighty but thirdly I'm closing when I tell you you can get over without going under because of the certainty of your arrival let the whole room say certainty Bless your heart. It's right there in the text. I'm not making it up. When we get to verse number 40, Jesus has just calmed the storm. And then afterwards, he says to the disciples, why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? Now, at first, look, this is an indictment against the disciples because, yes, he calms the storm. But it was not enough for him to fix the external elements without dealing with their fractured faith. Because sometimes the work of God is not just to fix it, but sometimes he needs to fix you. And in doing so, he raises a question. He says, after all you've seen me do, have you still no faith? Of course, you do know that we're in Mark chapter 4. And if you rewind, you'll find out that Jesus began calling the disciples in Mark chapter 1. In fact, in Mark chapter 1, verse 17, he calls Simon Andrew. In chapter 1, verse 19, he calls James and John. In chapter 2, verse 14, he calls Levi the son of Alphaeus and infamously declares that those who are well don't need a physician. I've come not for the righteous, but I've come for the sinners. And then finally, in Mark chapter 3, verses 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, and 19, he calls the other seven by name, thus giving him the 12 disciples. So when we get to Mark chapter 4, this is not these men's first encounter with Jesus. In fact, if I can argue further, I've got a problem with, with the disciples. Because out of all 12, at least one of them should have had enough faith based on what he's already seen. And what a tragedy it is when in a group of those who have been with Jesus, there's no one who has enough faith based on receipts. Because by now, if you've forgotten, by now he's already healed a man with an unclean spirit. By now he's healed Simon's mother-in-law with a fever. By now he's cast out demons. By now he's cleansed lepers. By now he's healed paralytics. By now he's healed a man with a withered hand. By now he's preached. By now he's taught. By now he's told parables. But the thing is, ironically, the ones who've seen it all still got trust issues. To which I'd submit today that it's dangerous to not believe on Jesus. But it's tragic to not believe in Jesus. I'll say it again. It's dangerous to not believe on Jesus. But it's tragic to not believe in Jesus. 
Now, somebody's asking, what's the difference? I'm so glad you asked. I'd respond this way, that believing on Jesus deals with God's ability. Believing in Jesus deals with probability. Believing on Jesus means you salvifically affirm that he is who he is. That's well and good. That's cute for a first Sunday. But believing in Jesus takes it a step further. Because believing in Jesus says not only do I affirm that he is who he is, but I also affirm my confidence in him doing what I need him to do. A bunch of people believe on Jesus. That's the easy part. You come down, give the preacher your hand, give God your heart, sing, take me to the water, and we live happily ever after. A bunch of folks believe on Jesus. But if we're honest, even on a Sunday afternoon, there's somebody under my voice who is struggling with believing in Jesus. But my friends, I submit and I've got to go. The disciples' crucial mistake was not solely a matter of fractured faith. It was a situation of accidental amnesia. Their mistake was the fact they forgot what had already been said. Let's flash back to verse 35. He says to them, let us go across to the other side. I didn't make it up. Let's read again. Verse 35. He says, let us go across to the other side. Third time's charm. One more time. Let's try it again. He says, let us go across to the other side. Okay, here it is. Easy shout is he tells them in verse 35, they're going to make it over. So that should have been enough to calm their anxiety. But what's more intriguing is the shout cue that makes up the assuring sentence because he does not just simply say, go across to the other side. But rather he says, let us go to the other side. And I'd submit that there's a difference between go and let us go. Between go means I'm sending you, but let us go. It means I'm supporting you. I said go means I'm assigning you, but let us go. It means I'm accompanying you. I said go means it's a commission, but let us go. It means collaboration. I said go means it's a proclamation, but when you hear let us go, it means it's a promise. I said go means it's leadership but let us go means it's a kinship it means friendship it means relationship and all that means is what a fellowship and all I'm trying to tell you is that when God says let us go you ought to pack your bags stick your chest out and enjoy your journey because as long as you've got God you've got assurance that even if it's a bumpy ride you've been guaranteed safe passage because the Bible says that he that's begun a great work in you 
he shall bring it to completion because the last time I checked whatever God starts he knows how to finish so have a good day growth point and may the good Lord bless your heart real good but is there anybody in the building who can help me close my sermon and testify that the reason I keep on coming the reason I keep on shouting the reason I keep on pressing is cause I know that as long as I've got God that greater is he who is in me than he who's in the world and as long as I've got God he's got power to step into turmoil and bring tranquility he's still got power to step into hell and bring me some harmony he's still got power to step into panic and give me peace that's why Paul could say in Philippians be anxious for nothing but by prayer and supplication make your request known to God and the peace of God that surpasses understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus have I got myself a witness is there anybody can testify that I serve a God who will give me peace in my family he'll give me peace in my bank account he'll give me peace in my marriage he'll give me peace in my children he'll give me peace in my job he'll give me peace in my relationship he'll give me peace inside a growth point he'll give you peace and that peace will get you over without going under I know we can't touch nobody but you ought to look at somebody and say neighbor for the rest of the year I'm not gonna worry for the rest of the year I'm not gonna fret for the rest of the year I'm not gonna quit because I've got something on the inside that's keeping me I've got something on the inside that's holding me I've got something on the inside that's healing me and that something is called peace and that peace will keep my mind that peace will hold my hand that peace will save your soul that peace will calm anxiety that peace will bring you out that peace will rock you to sleep with the blessed assurance that after a while it'll all be over after a while the sun will shine after a while the clouds will pass and will shout hallelujah by and by so be not dismayed whatever be tired God will take care of you won't he do it I said won't he do it won't he keep you won't he hold you won't he secure you 
won't he rock you well if you know that God will you want to do me one favor let the redeemed of the Lord say so shout it shout it shout you can get over without going under because you've got an ambassador that was not built to break you can get over without going under because you've got the companionship not just of the one who made the boat but the one who made the storm. And you can get over without going under because you've got the certainty that you're going to make it. If you know you're going to make it, you ought to bless God right now, even now. Don't wait until you get to shore, but bless God because he's already said, let us go across to the other side. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to take this time to thank you for your prayers, support, and generous giving that make this ministry possible. For more ways to connect, visit online at growthpointchurch.org. If you've enjoyed today's message, you can like, subscribe, share with your friends, or take a screenshot and share on your social stories and tag us at MyGrowthPoint. Until next time, keep growing.